Welcome to Why the Long Face, two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. Well, hello and welcome to uh, episode nine of our second season of Why the Long Face. Yes, welcome. Hello, Dr. Paul Keedwell. Hello, Oliver Turnbull, IT uh, consultant and uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, God, that was the You thought about going back and doing it again? Comparing? No, I'm still probably about as funny as I was then, so the answer has got to be a no, isn't it? Okay, well, never mind. Mm. How's the unfiltered lager with the, un- with the unbranded unfiltered lager? Yeah, right. I'm going to post a picture of this uh, somewhere, maybe on Insta, I don't know. It's a stocking filler of mine. Yeah, it's nice. Your lady has been very kind to you. It's just a can which is very plain with unfiltered lager on it, mm. and it there is an aftertaste, and I guess that's very much down to the unfiltered nature oh, right. of the lager. But I'm getting used to it. It's really nice. I'm going to have another mm. little, 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 little oh, taster. Jolly, little jolly wet, wetting my whistle now. I'm having a toast. Mm. Pale ale, bright, malty, planet-saving, apparently. Ooh, I'm right. saving the planet. Oh, right. Isn't that awesome? That is just so South London. That's so you. It's uh, not. It, I didn't buy it. Uh, I was. It was gifted. Still you. My favourite way of saving the planet. <laughs> yeah, Drinking right. a nice, crisp, tasty beer with yeah. Cascade uh, and Chinook hops. Congratulations, Greta Thunberg. And that's, uh, <laughs> how, uh, how are you, by the way? I, I never ask. Oh, I'm... I'm ticking along okay. Yeah. He's, yeah, had a bit yeah. Of a, he's had a bit of a cough, the doctor. Had a bit of a cough. Doctor, yeah. But he's sounding a lot better and a lot sexier. Yeah. On the, My on annual the... cough that I get every... It's <laughs> going on a long year. time. It is going on a long time. I'm pretty sure it's something more sinister. Yeah. The, the big C. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to... You go there? You go there with the big well, C? you went there. Oh, that is... That's what that you meant, is, That's edgy material. That's where you went. The big that. C. No, I was thinking I was thinking pneumonia, wasn't it? The big C. You won't be happy when... Next year, this time, there's no podcast because I'm dead. No, I'll still do brown bread. I'll be like uh, the authors of Asterisk. <coughs> I'll carry on when one of them dies. Yes, you'll be, yeah, like the plucky character you are. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll be like, oh, sorry. After you're uh, three days of mourning, <laughs> if that. I was going to say. Three minutes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no, no. I have to say, I want to I uh, put it on record, actually, that when you're dead, I'll be really sad. <laughs> okay. Mm. All right. That's nice. I'll take that. I'll take that as not sarcastic. Uh, no, no, no. I will because I choose to take it that way. Yep. No, I'm. I'm not being sarcastic. And um, not only that, I do want I, to have I, a comedy gravestone, though. They're not allowed. Like, like Spike Milligan. They're not allowed. Well, he's he's got away with it, right? In, in a graveyard. Well, I think did, he did, it in, did they plan it? Was it a private? I mean, it might be in Latin. But it's the, I'm sure you're referring to. I told you I was ill. I told you I was ill. Yeah. Yeah. I think he might put it in Latin. I don't. And I don't who was know the one who sure. said he, he was a disappointment? Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was us, wasn't it? <laughs> Oliver Turnbull, a disappointment. Yeah, and it has to be in quotes, remember? <laughs> That's right. So someone has to have said it. It has to be, yeah, right under your name, in parentheses, a, a, a disappointment. disappointment. And, and perhaps the person to whom that phrase is attributed, it's a good job you're editing this. <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> I think probably all of this is going to be white. Oh, I, um, I think it's quite, I think, I think, I think people will find it quite, um, <clears throat> uh, Shit. Uh, any, anyway, but we're we're avoiding we're avoiding the subject, aren't we? Really. Oh, nice segue. Thanks, man. Yeah, uh, into the main topic, which is uh, avoidant attachment style. But we're going to sort of talk about more, really, all the attachment styles. Got it. But I thought it'd be really interesting to. Uh, it was it was when we were doing the ep on narcissism, and I thought actually this is sort of one of the really important dimensions of narcissism but mm. isn't it doesn't define narcissism in fact about 30 percent of us 
have um, avoidant or sometimes called dismissive um, attachment styles okay, well in relationships as adults. All right, let's just wind it back. Let's just wind it back and go mm. go for the definition, yeah? Right. So uh, there are four attachment styles. Am there I right? Are. There are four attachment styles, yeah. And what does an attachment style really mean? It refers to your style of relating to your mother when you're an infant or your main caregiver mm-hmm. uh, and then to your intimate other when you're an adult. And the right. one maps onto the other. So the adult attachment style is formed as a child. Harry Potter. I was going to ask you um, which attachment style the various characters have. Hermione. So she's the clever girl character. Yes, yeah, so you do know her. Right, so she's going to be... Well, hang on, we haven't even gone through what the four different types are. No, but uh, we will by, by doing this. Oh, okay, so that's the idea, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so one, of the, one of the charms of our podcast is that it's not over-rehearsed in any way whatsoever. <laughs> so, so, yeah. All right, just, so I'd just... say... So she's, uh, she's clever... Confident. And confident and secure. Secure attachment. Okay, Correct. good. Correct, absolutely, because she is confident in her own um, desires and isn't afraid to express them. No. And in the end, she's the one who takes control over Ron Weasley, who is a bit anxious and afraid to tell her how he truly feels yeah. and ends up going out with Lavender. So so okay. w- w- what attachment style might Ron Weasley... You've helped me out there yeah. because he's probably the anxious type, preoccupied. Right. Yeah, anxious. Okay, so we've got secure, uh, uh, Hermione. We've uh, got anxious, anxious, anxious Weasley. Stro- anxious slash ambivalent. Straight, straight ginger. And yeah. then, uh, then you've got... Um, Harry Potter. So what's he then? Is he disorganised? No. Let's just stick to the three main ones because disorganised was added later. Oh, so he's the other one. So he's probably avoidant. He's the avoidant attachment style. I'll ah. tell you what. Right. So Hermione gr- grown up in a very secure, loving environment with a lot of parental attention. Did she? With yeah. the needs. Ron Weasley had uh, a bit of a more difficult, challenging upbringing. Uh, with an inconsistent uh, caregiving style. Got it. And uh, Harry Potter, of course, uh, brought up by his... Nasty uncle. The nasty muggles. Yeah. Oh, was that Richard Griffiths? Yeah. Which didn't allow him to express his emotions, and so he learnt to suppress them. Is that what made him a wizard? I think he was already a wizard. Oh, right, okay. And uh, at least gives an illusion of being very self-sufficient. I think it's just about... You've just about pulled this back from the brink. And doesn't show any emotions. Okay, let us summarise. I, I quite like that. This is the attachment styles, and they are born out of relationships you have as a child with your parent with or your, your, main, your, your, main, your caregiver, main caregiver, often the mother, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And the four are secure, mm. Hermione, uh, yeah. avoidant, Harry, anxious, yeah. Ron, Ron, and disorganised. Disorganised is Dumbledore, probably. No, uh, who'd be disorganised? Uh <sighs> Uh, Betty Blue is probably disorganised. The, me- the man oh, no, professor? she's ambivalent. The Nutty Professor? Uh, <laughs> With the ever unfunny Jerry Lewis? <laughs> he probably is good disorganised. Disorganised right. is um, is more of a state of um, uh, confusion and uh, in the presence of uh, caregivers when you're young and intimate, uh, well, people who are showing interest in you when you're older, uh, a confusion about how to seek help and seek intimacy. Right. Uh, so right. okay. in in the in the comedy Seinfeld, uh, Jerry might be the secure one. The uh, anxious one is obviously Elaine. No, but the point was that Kramer's probably the disorganised one. Got it right because he's all over the place. <laughs> all over the place. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I'll read out some descriptions, and you've got to tell me which one. Okay, got it. I am nervous when anyone gets too close, 
and often others want me to be more intimate than I feel comfortable being. So that's avoidant. That's avoidant. Got it. Uh, I find it relatively easy to get close to others and I'm comfortable depending on them and having them depend on me. I don't worry about being abandoned or about someone getting too close to me. Secure. Correct. Apparently, I'm 55%. Uh, yeah, because you did a test, didn't you? That's good. Yeah. It's good to know. Uh, see, I find that others are reluctant to get as close as I would like. I often worry that my partner doesn't really love me or won't want to stay with me. Oh, I want to get very close to my partner, and this sometimes scares people away. That's anxious. Anxious. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that makes me feel a bit sad, actually. And then later on, they added the disorganized type, which is the fourth one. And I think it muddies the waters a bit. It's a sort of ad additional one, uh, yeah. like the, the fourth Marx brother. It, it almost feels like there's secure and insecure. And yeah. the insecure has several sort of flavors to it. It almost feels like that. And, and, and the flavor of insecure that you have is going to be dependent not just on your parenting style, but probably your temperament. You I know, see. You, you determine more more in terms of your genetics. Yes. And anything else going on. Got it. So take me back to childhood, because this makes me feel very mm. sad. When oh, I, when really? I hear it. it does. Yeah. There's something about um, a child not getting what it needs from its parents. Mm. It makes me just un unaccountably mm. quite quite upset. But mm. we have to face this, because um, this is what's happening, yeah. apparently. It was Bowlby who first came up with attachment theory. So he came up with the concept of insecure attachment. And then the, the attachment styles were further delineated by Ainsworth, who developed the strange situation, which is essentially just creating a situation where the mother would leave the child alone and then return to the room after a certain period of time. Right. And the attachment style was determined by the child's reaction, both to the mum leaving and to the mum returning. Right. So the secure attachment would be upset but would quickly settle down to play on on its own mm. probably securing the knowledge that the caregiver would return at some point mm. anxious attachment style w would often be unconsolable and still difficult to console even when the parent returns and would be quite right. clingy because of the trauma the shock right um or would be ambivalent like v uh, vacillate between wanting to be uh, close to the mother and not wanting to be uh, because they're a little bit angry um, Almost punishing the mother for yeah. leaving them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd have the avoidant, the child who has learned to be like a little grown-up and at least give the pretense of being independent and not caring when mum leaves and also not showing an interest in mum. So not, when the not punishing, returns. but actually been, been taught to not care. Had learned to be self-sufficient. I mean, it all makes perfect sense, really, doesn't mm. it, that these attachment styles would then continue into adulthood and affect your intimate relationships later. Well, you've always valued massively experimentation on babies. Um, the electrode experiment that you're very uh, favor of. Uh, oh, right. And the yes. hot poker experiment. Y yes, yes, that's right. Yes. I think um, invaluable research. Um, yeah, yeah. Of course, you wouldn't be allowed to do it these days. Well, it's, the world's gone soft. Yeah, so, snowflake <laughs> generation. <laughs> doesn't allow experiment, physical experimentation on babies. Mm. Um, so that is really one question that comes straight to my mind is if mm. you have this pattern of behavior at such a young age, say the avoidant, which is the one that we're, we're concentrating on, mm. and you have learned not to care, so not to be hurt mm. by the fact that the, your, your primary caregiver goes away, mm. um, you, you've learned not to be hurt and be independent. Mm. Is that something that inevitably will, will, you'll take through into your um, adult life? It's, it's my understanding and through my work, I've seen it that uh, they're quite ingrained patterns of behavior. 
quite difficult to shift. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say they can't be shifted. Right. Okay. That's kind of good. Mm. So if you're a child, let's, 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 should we talk about avoidance? Because that, that's the, uh, uh, mm. the avoidant type. Mm. You have learned at a very early age to be independent. I mean, w- w- one school of thought would be say, well, that's a good thing. They've learned to look after themselves. Mm. But you've done it too early, which is an unnatural mm. thing. Mm. Uh, and it manifests itself in childhood as someone who doesn't get too upset when mum goes away. And when mum mm. comes back is... Or doesn't show angry. that they are. Right. They're, apparently, apparently they're just as anxious inside, right. but they're not, not showing. Crucial difference. Because they've learned not to show it. Yeah. Oh, dear. And often, well, I'd say most of the time, someone who's avoidant wants to be close to someone. Right. Just finds it very difficult to open up about that. Mm. It's funny. When we started doing these podcasts, I was a bit cynical about look back to the childhood. Uh, because I thought that all sounds a bit Freudian, a bit weird. But the more and more I think about it, the more I learn about these phenomena. Yeah, well, Bowlby's a little bit more straightforward to understand. Right. <laughs> That's why he's one of the most, he's one of the superstars of uh, psychology. So I can understand in a child these these these, these hidden emotions. You, you've learned to actually, like you said, like you corrected me, you've learned to hide your anxiety and be ambivalent to the return of the parent. How does that manifest itself? And we've touched on it a little bit uh, in, in adulthood, in, in your Harry Potter years. These individuals are often able to uh, shut down emotionally when a potentially hurtful scenario arises, when there's an argument, and rather than directly express their emotional needs, might drop hints or might sulk. Uh, In relationships, it is said that men can go back into their cave, Mm. uh, retreat into their cave Mm. rather than have conflict. But I think you're saying that that's just a a male uh, manifestation of of an avoidant behavior as it were. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, necessarily the same thing as a problem with intimacy. But yeah, I suppose men are less willing to talk about emotions, and that's that's socialised from an early age. But it's different from a fundamental anxiety that someone with yeah. avoidant uh, attachment feels when anyone wants to get uh, closer. There, there is definitely a reluctance in about thirty percent of the population to commit. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's to an intimate relationship. It's a sort of sitcom meme, as it were, that um, that that the, the, the failure to commit on, on both sides, male and female. Well, and the, and the secure person is going, what do you want? Just tell me what you want. And they can't. Right, <laughs> right. Because they can't really access what they want. They're just feeling anxious. Or, or they're shut down already. Yeah, yeah. Before you even mm. had a chance to stop them. Mm. I, I've got it. It's described as keeping a distance uh, mm. in one of the papers i read is that yeah. the kind of thing to not getting too close not yeah, being correct. vulnerable yes yeah, and being self and prizing self-sufficiency right you and, and, and you're doing it unconsciously because you can't remember correct. the feeling that you had when mum left and didn't go back or didn't right you or didn't right you. okay right and that's why it takes a long time for people to address these issues yeah uh, and why they tend to persist into adulthood but that doesn't mean to say you can't address it when you finally wake up to the fact that you've got these issues. Well, that's it. With a lot of these stuff that we talk about, it's recognizing what's happening in your mind. Mm. Um, it's like these cognitive distortions that people suffer from or anxious thoughts that keep recurring. It's the understanding of that, which is, mm. seems to be the first step in recovery. Mm. So you can see why if an avoidant attachment style gets together with an anxious avoidant, how that's going to make the anxious avoidant worse. So that might not work. To, to begin with, they're worried that... Their partner doesn't love them as much as they love them. They mm. tend to be overly jealous. And then the avoidant person is giving them absolutely no sign yeah. whatsoever that they and, uh, and appreciate the, the relationship. Even, even if they do. And often bec- uh, they do. But mm. they can't then express it. Yeah, that's going to be a recipe for trouble. But the anxious attachment style 
very often drives people away, even if they're securely attached, because in the end they get fed up with the constant challenges. It's hard work. Do you mm. love me? Got it. Why don't you tell me you love me? So can I just recap on something? Yeah. I completely understand how a very attentive, emotionally uh, emotionally present mother mm. will lead to a secure child and therefore a secure adult. Not yeah. in 100% of cases, but generally that will be the case. Yeah. What I can't quite understand is the difference between a, a, a non-attentive primary caregiver mm. and whether someone will grow up avoidant, I, mm. I'm okay, you can't get through to me, yeah. as opposed to anxious. Is that yeah. when other factors come in? Um a parenting style does does come in so i think the the avoidant it's very much about the the parent not having empathy and not expressing uh-huh. uh, and not um being attentive to emotions in right. the child and in fact showing irritation perhaps if the baby cries and so on so the so the child learns to suppress that and not show emotion got it and act as if they're very emotionally controlled and con- contained mm. and that becomes a learned behavior because nothing can hurt me yeah but also it means that i'm not going to get rejected completely by my parent giver if i don't make any fuss right and the anxious uh the anxious it's more to do with i think uh and this is there is some evidence for this although it's largely theoretical is that it's inconsistent care it's exactly what I was going to say. So, so they'll get nice, nurturing and loving care some of the time oh. and other times not. Oh, dear. So that leads to constant fear of abandonment. Or it might be due to a period of prolonged hospitalization. And although it never happens now, there was a time when if a child uh, got a severe illness and needed to be hospitalized, the parents weren't allowed to visit. Oh my god! I yeah, my daughter got very sick when she was eighteen months with so meningitis, and we were with her twenty-four-seven. You asked me to come and see her, and you did come and see her. Bless yeah. you. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> remember that? Why you she were... why she needed a psychiatrist? I'll never know. But it was uh, <laughs> very much appreciated. Well, because at the time you remembered that I'd done a full medical training. <laughs> These days, it's convenient for you to forget. It's much more amusing to. Uh, forget. Yeah, that's true. But I was also going to say I probably needed you more than she did. Yeah, that's probably true. She seemed seemed pretty good, actually. At the yeah, she recovered. I think she she was already much better, wasn't she? By she time recovered comically quickly. <laughs> yeah. In fact, she was running around the place and still isolated from the rest of the yeah. world. But anyway, th- she's fine now. Right. So, I um. So there are m- many ways in which you can uh, check your attachment style online. Um. Now, I did a uh, a test on myself. Uh, Diane Paul Heller's attachment styles test. Now, this is not, I don't think, a scientific test. But I did it just to make a point that it's nonsense to think that these four attachment styles are are rigidly demarcated and that there's no way that you can have elements of more than one attachment style. So, yeah, a little bit like the Myers-Briggs personality test, you have a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit more of that, and you, you have a, 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 a slight bias towards one or the other. Right, so that's, a, that's what we call a trait, a trait test rather than ah. ideographic, which is when you're one thing or the other. I mean, most psychiatrists would tell you the, uh, the sort of personality disorder system is a bit, non, is a bit nonsensical. Mm. Um, and that's why we now often talk about cluster A, cluster B or cluster C personalities. It's more uh, an association of different personality traits. I'll buy that. Anyway, my, so my attachment style was, was um, 55% secure which was some relief, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I've got a significant avoidant 
28%. Definitely. Cold which fish. I um, totally recognise in myself. Uh, 11% ambivalent, anxious, and 5% disorganised. <laughs> Only 5%. <laughs> oh, my God. But I would I would say that yeah, 28% avoidance, probably about right. I definitely don't like talking about my emotions. No. Unless, of course, it's talking about you. Mm. Then I have no problem. Can you, that's, that's right. Words fall from your cob hole <laughs> yeah, in a massive torrent. Yeah. And you do get pretty cross. That's yeah. emotion. Yeah. Yeah. All red faced and Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I am uh, a little bit uh, avoidant. But mm. I I don't have the lack of trust issue. I don't fear abandonment. I don't get massively jealous. No, you're not jealous. So that's I think true. I am pretty secure. What about you? Yeah. I don't know. What I know you, you, haven't the test? Done, you haven't done the test, but what would no. you guess? I used to be uh uh, I used to be. I, uh, Your parents were like mine, weren't they? Didn't talk a little about, bit Victorian. Didn't, didn't talk, talk about, about emotions. No, but they made it very clear we were all wanted, needed. Oh, same rah. here. That's probably why I'm fifty-five percent. Yeah, uh, secure and only twenty-eight percent avoidant. Yeah, I think I was. I was a baby who followed a a, a stillbirth. So I think I might have been overprotected by my mother as a result of that, and so you'd mean a special child, yeah, yeah. So grew up a the one bit that survived, correct. So grew up feeling a bit anxious, and still obviously carry that anxiety into my adult life. Oh. But uh, I would never, ever, for a second, blame my mother for that because she's still traumatized by this. Well, it could be all sorts of uh, all sorts of things going on there. Oh, she's just she's wonderful, um, nurturing mum. But um, mm. I wonder if there was something else going on with regard to right. her sense of loss mm. of the of my brother who was. Only 11 months before I was born. But I'd say you are pretty secure because you're hardly ever critical about yourself. And I think you should be way more critical about yourself. It's true. Um, I mean, I am a hell of a guy. I've got so much (laughs) going on. Mm. uh, And I thank my mother for (laughs) not abandoning me and giving Mm. me toys. Mm. I also thank my jeans and my my makeup and Mm. just me. Mm. I thank me. Yeah. Thanks. Someone's got to thank you. Oh. Someone's got to appreciate it. I see it bouncing off. But you're me. so secure in yourself that that just bounces off. Yeah. About these horrible barbs from yeah. a horrible Coventry lad that bounce off my protective shell. So, like do you prefer not. Toothpicks off a <laughs> crocodile. <clears throat> do you prefer not to show a partner how you feel deep down? I don't mind. Uh, do you feel comfortable sharing your private thoughts and feelings? I love it because it's an excuse to talk about myself. My private thoughts and feelings are fascinating. This isn't a narcissism scale. (laughs) Uh, I find it difficult to allow myself to depend on romantic partners. I had a problem with that. And it leads to another question I have. Interesting. Right. Um, Although I feel I've grown up secure thanks to my parents and my biological makeup and just my general essence of aceness, I had my heart broken once. And that had a big effect on my ability to trust. So uh, my my question really is, can things that happen to you, and the obvious answer is yes, mm. can put you into different type of um, mm. modes because mm. you've just had that kind of emotional trauma yeah. in your life? And the answer must be yes. I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, yeah because a betrayal is a trauma that can stay with you. Yeah, yeah, and affect your attachment style. I, I think that's almost certainly true. And then, you, then I've sort of recovered back relatively quickly to a secure style. I'm, I'm very secure in my marriage. I feel. Yeah, and I think that's because it doesn't have such a, a deep imprint on your functioning as nice. something as a as a, something that happens in childhood. Nice theory. I'm just thinking about how I feel about my marriage. And yeah, it's it's very even when I am 
totally useless at something which my wife values, such as uh, spontaneously going out and gathering wood for the wood burner. The fuel and wood situation. The fuel and wood situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think, well, I'm sure I compensate by the fact that we have a really good laugh together. Yeah, you do. I think I think humour has been very useful to, for you too. Thank I you. mean, she has to have a sense of humour to marry you. Right? Well, she certainly has to have to see me naked. And that too. So, um, uh, moving on, Oliver, quickly, I think, because at the moment I've just got the image of you naked in my head. Mm-hmm. And I need that to be uh, Everything wobbling. removed very, very quickly. Everything longer as than it should have been. Quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. Ne- next next question, please. <laughs> Thank you. Please, please. Oh God, he's deliberately delaying now. He's just staring at me. Oh no, I thought you were asking me questions. No, I want, I want. Well, I can ask you a few more. Well, I don't know. It's a bit dull. We've no, established that I'm secure with very good reason. You're pretty secure with very good um, reason. Don't know why, but you are fairly secure. Well, that's the funny thing. Utter dicks can be secure. Good. Okay, let's um, let's move on then. Why do you crunch the numbers and tell me what I am? Uh, I, it says you're a twat. I'm. I'm just reading out uh, traits. So it's not a test. This one, not yeah, a okay. scored. It's not scored. Carry All right, on. fine. So I do have more questions. So uh, we've we've talked about some of the negative effects in yeah. adulthood. We talked mm. about keeping a distance. Mm. We've talked about repression uh, and yeah. negativity as well. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that that is something that may go along with critical inner voices. Right. But you probably need other things going on there. Understood. Yeah, well, I think it's a certain type of emotional neglect yeah. that avoidant uh, people have. Or maybe just a, a lack of emotional language in the household. Does it go down through the generations? If you're an avoidant kind Correct. of person. Oh, Correct. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 It's not at all surprising. No, it, when you think absolutely about it? not. Uh, yeah. Intergenerational transmission. Yeah, I think that is absolutely what happens. Mm. If someone uh, made you emotionally unavailable, mm. then how are you going to be unavailable to your child? Or even understand how important it is. Very difficult. Almost Unless impossible. you address it yeah. at, at some point in your adult life. Well, that's quite interesting because I think some people might be listening and going, uh, this completely describes my partner. You know, they're, they're right. distant. They find fault with me. They give me mixed signals. Um, they're madly in love with me one day and the next day they're not. They try to sabotage the relationship. Oh, good list of traits there. Yeah. Um, finding fault is a common one. Oh, right. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So, uh, and it's an unconscious process. The, the, usually, the partner doesn't realise they're doing it. They they're notching up faults in their other partners for reasons why they should not be with them. It's an unconscious cognitive mechanism for dis for again pushing your someone away. Yeah, again, this what happened in childhood is starting to make a hell of a lot more sense mm. now you dive into it. Mm. So mm. it's quite hurtful if you're with a partner who is avoidant. Mm. They. Uh, exhibit traits which are actually quite hurtful to you because mm. you love them more than anyone else in the world. Mm. Um, I would imagine it's very healthy uh, for you one to recognise that you're with uh. someone who is um, avoid avoidant. Attachment. Yes, and that's why we're doing this, really. Ah, so. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. There's method. And for the people out there who recognise this in themselves, uh-huh. there is absolutely a way to improve things. I mean, uh, there are probably three different ways that I've read. Yeah, I read a, a list. Let's see if you uh, got the same ones. Okay. Uh, well, the, fir- the first big one was uh, have a relationship with someone who's securely attached. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't tell who you're going to fall for, eh? No. Because people who are avoided may be incredibly charming or sexy. Uh, unless you've educated yourself and you know what to look out for. Mm. Uh, that's a very good point. Yeah. Okay. That's one, that's one solution. Um, and you do see it all the time that people are kind of saved by uh, going for a different partner type 
breaking out of what they normally do. So sorry, because avoidance yeah. often will choose other avoidance. Ah, that that's mean? what I was coming. You don't have to right. commit then, do you? Right. You know, ah, so you're comfortable mm. in your lack of commitment until you fall for them, or they have a superficial relationship. Or they'll just have a sexually promiscuous lifestyle. I was going to say, they don't stop you wanting to have sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're avoidant, you're so so you're getting the effect, the closeness that you need, or the uh, the sex that you need, but you're not having to get. So too this is the friends with benefits kind of rom com. That meme. would be that would be the perfect. Yeah, situation. but then it isn't because one Actually, of them always falls for the other one. When Harry met Sally, Harry was the avoidant, wasn't he? He was the classic avoidant trope, wasn't he? He didn't, um, he didn't like to get close. He didn't like to talk about emotions. That's Isn't right. That right? I think that was his thesis, And yeah. she was the anxious type, I think. Yeah. And then... It, then, then and it, in the end, he, he ends up falling for her. Yeah. Um, whereas in reality, they'd probably just split apart. Well, they do split apart and get back together. Because it's Hollywood. Um, yeah, I think we might be... Um, <laughs> we might be conflating that with uh, The Lion King. But anyway. Possibly <laughs> a very condensed process by which an avoidant suddenly becomes more secure. One thing I read about about if you are with an avoidant person is don't take it personally. Right. Understand rather than condemn. Which is very difficult when you're in love with someone and they're sitting on the sofa saying, True. I don't want to talk about it. True. It must be very, very hard. True. But if, if you start to say, oh, well. And you do sometimes hear this. You say, oh, well, um, he, he had a problematic relationship with his mother. Mm. So he's mm. a bit like this. He retreats into his man cave. Mm. And that's someone actually recognizing, I guess, without mm. realizing it potentially, mm. an avoidant... Mm. Um, Chat and and actually compensating for it, which is really rather a sign of proper love, I, I think. And I think also realizing that 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 actually there's a dimension, a spectrum from anxious ambivalent on one hand, to uh, avoidant on the other uh, other end of the dimension. We're secure kind of in the middle, because if you think about it, they are opposing poles. Let and me they think about of, that for a while. <laughs> so one, yeah. So one is sort so of neurotic and worrying, and the other is they don't give a shit. Is that mm. is that kind of where you're coming from? Yeah, and in the middle is the uh, Goldilocks zone. Yeah, which is uh, they uh, they definitely express emotions uh, that might um, tip into avoidant or anxious at times, mm. but most of the time pretty secure. The other thing I've heard is be reliable. So obviously they have suffered in the past from someone unreliable to them being unreliable. Yeah, so you can maybe build up a resistance to avoidance behavior by being reliable yourself. Right. Which is quite a responsibility. Right. right. You might think, is it worth it? But right. if you really love somebody, it's kind of worth it, eh? Yeah. So that, uh, any anything else you read? Yeah, a few more. Okay. Uh, don't push too hard. Yes. So because when are we going to move in? When are we going to move in? When are we going to move in? When are we going to commit? In? When are you going to commit? Uh, why have you told me you love me? Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the problem is they will probably just freeze and back off and close close down. Give them space. Yeah. That makes sense. Space and time. Mm. Good one. Because mm. if you are doing the be reliable thing, mm. there is an implication there that it's going to take time for that pattern of behavior in them to change. And, and if you really love them, it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth sticking with. Oh, you've got to believe that, man. You've got to believe that. Yeah. And then the last one was stand your ground. So this is sort of like um, mm. it's given their space, understand them, let them be themselves, be reliable, but actually uh, don't be a pushover. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Realise what's going on. And don't stick around forever. Yeah. Uh, there's an example here. If they never want to go out on a date, but that's important to you, let them know and stick to it. Yeah. So, so that they will... There's a bit of balance. So there has to be some balance. But that, that bit of advice might be for someone who's the anxious avoidant type as well. Yeah? Ah, uh, maybe. Stand your ground. Maybe. 
I like those bits of advice. I think they sound really. I, really I, they make a lot of sense to me too. Mm. I thought that was a good article. Yeah. And it was written in a very accessible way. It um, was. I understood it. Because uh, a lot of the time, uh, there's a lot of mumbo jumbo around attachment theory. Well, about psychotherapy in general uh, and psychological development. I think it gets it can get overcomplicated sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That was well written. Um, we try to do that, don't we? We do. We try to demystify a bit. I try to be the man on the Clapham uh, omnibus. We, we both try to not use too much technical language. Yeah, I, uh, and I certainly ask stupid questions. Uh, which I love. Okay, I have a couple of other things I'd like to cover if we have time. Can um, someone with avoidant attachment style uh, also manifest with other relationships? Whereas relationships with siblings, relationships with friends, to work colleagues? Or does it predominate in the um, romantic attachment space so romantic partner space uh, i think it predominates in that space but i think it, it, you'd also find it difficult to talk about emotions in general with your with your with anyone in any relationship right but you wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily push them away because in a friendship the stakes aren't as high as in Correct. a romantic yeah. entanglement so you can find people who skip from one partner to another but still have a solid group of mates right. potentially right which makes sense right uh, but then they're the kind of mates that you wouldn't open up to, maybe, if you were yeah, the yeah, yeah. type. Yeah, I get it. That yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had another question as well. Okay. Are, in, in, in maybe in the more extreme cases, yeah. any other manifestations other than problematic relationships that you might encounter? I'm thinking in terms of anxiety, maybe even personality or borderline personality disorder, okay. maybe even depression. Yeah. It seems to me that a, a, a not unsubstantial amount of trauma is involved yeah. in, in, in becoming yeah. someone with this um, trait. And therefore, yeah. are they maybe vulnerable to... It's about how much, the degree to which the child was uh, traumatized. Mm -hmm. maybe, if there's physical or even sexual abuse in there as well, then I think you're more likely to see this attachment style in the context of a personality disorder, right? usually of the borderline type. Remind me what borderline means. It's a, a, a psychoanalytical concept, which uh, originally referred to the borderline between the neurotic and the psychotic, yeah. in that sometimes people with borderline personality disorder can hear voices perhaps of the abuser from childhood it's a what we call a dissociative state a memory slash awakening dream or something right got it right and it's also associated with uh, a difficulty regulating your emotions so you can have very strong swings of emotion mm -hmm. and that's thought to do to be due to a dysregulation of the stress hormone cortisol uh, when you're a child you don't learn to regulate. Oh, my God. So it actually physiologically affects your yes. body and your ability to... Yeah, good to a Lord. degree, yeah. Oh, mm. my God. This brings me to my last point. Okay. Um, which is, it's now made me feel anxious as a parent, as a parent of two parents. Okay. And I, and I think what we do not want to do with this podcast is make parents paranoid that they're damaging their children. The father of attachment theory, Jonathan Bowlby, said that you only need to be the good enough mother it could be the father, mm. whoever the main carer is. You just need to be good yeah. enough. Um, my, my, my experience of fatherhood, uh, I wasn't the primary caregiver, my wife was, but that it, actually a lot of this stuff does come naturally. Yeah, I think you are always very aware of the fact that your parents were old school like mine and didn't tend to talk about emotions very much. Not so, at all. And they wouldn't be the type to tell you that they loved you and they cared for you. And talking and actually saying it, is really really important. My mum did, my dad 
didn't. He had to make it clear in other ways. Poor fellow. Right, right. But he right. did. Because that's bless probably how he was brought up. Oh, 100%. Uh, 100%. Intergenerational yeah. thing. So, yeah, telling people you love them, showing you love them, being there for them. But also, I suppose, standing your ground when they're naughty. Oh, well, of course. That. I mean, that's part of love, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just feel sorry for maybe uh, the the woman suffering from uh, postnatal depression and the, wor- the additional uh-huh. worry they'll have, right. uh, which we don't want to put on them, um, that you know they're, they're, they're not responding to their baby's needs. What would, advice would you would Well, you the, the, kind of the, the advice there is always get uh, early help. And if you know you've had postnatal depression before, all the services should be alerted at the point where you're planning the pregnancy. Mm. One other thing, though, that I would say on that is that Bowlby said children are quite resilient and they can put up with a lot of inconsistent care say, from, say, one parent, provided the, uh, there is a significant other uh-huh. for them. Right. They just need one consistent caregiver. Right. One, uh, what you call, attachment figure. Right. And they can be quite resilient. So I guess the other partner can take over a bit more. Can the other the other partner um, just come in for a brief period to be the primary caregiver yeah, and then why withdraw not? and then the other? Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. okay. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I've just felt this horrible feeling that we make parents feel, uh. particularly new parents or expectant parents, feel uh-huh. paranoid and anxious about being right. good parents and they right. shouldn't be. Uh, like uh, you say, all parents worry about well, whether they're true. being good enough. Well, but actually, you're being good enough if you show you, your kids love. Final question. Um, if you have heard this podcast and you think that's me, mm. Uh, mm. and you've got a sort of revelation that oh, well, hang on a minute, um, yeah, yeah, I do push. What do away. I do about it? And and people do find me cold, and I'm not mm. really, and I'm screaming to be uh, mm. intimate, but I just can't do it. Mm. What would you do? What would you What would you advise someone who feels that way? Uh, so, uh, I would say seek therapy, um, or if you're in a relationship, uh, speak to your partner openly about it. Mm. Um, often therapy can work very well alongside that, uh, uh, you know, you being in a secure relationship mm. um, and perhaps even um, some couple therapy with a th- with the therapist um, who's very experienced in attachment uh, problems would and be I, and a I good guess way to go. But the therapist will generally do the job of the secure um, partner who sticks around. Um. It's about being uh, reliable, uh, giving unconditional positive uh, regard for making that person feel secure over time. Uh, so they vicariously uh, learn perhaps um, to, uh, to, to be more secure themselves and be more trusting and deal with their abandonment issues in that way. What what did you did you read anything more about that? No, no. I, I the, the reason I'm looking through my notes here because uh, <laughs> uh, uh, another thing that's supposed to ha- help is writing a biography so that you can work out and make sense. Dr- writing a narrative, actually, literally writing down a story of your uh, life and uh, how you think that your childhood led to how you function now as an adult. And one thing point I really want to make, uh, I don't want to get all Phil Philip Larkin about this right. because. I imagine, and I want to hear it from you rather from mm. a rank amateur like me, that there is very little mileage to be gained from raking up old ground and starting to blame your mum, blame your dad. Um, um, you, you may go through a phase of that. Um, I think it's an inevitable that during a, a course of therapy, you're going to have all sorts of um, emotions and it's okay to express anger um, okay. uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the therapy about your parents 
and there'll be possibly be a phase of that and just to be aware of it is it quite important though to forgive your parents in a sense if you, if you can and i'm not talking about abusive parents i'm talking about people who've made uh, parents who've made mistakes without knowing it um or because they were going through their own well, stuff. Uh, yeah abuse i mean i'd say forgiveness abuse is, or neglect isn't always conscious i mean yeah. that's not uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, it often isn't, I suppose, um, yeah. and the parent doesn't know any better. Um, uh, but uh, you, forgiveness and acceptance and moving on may involve a conversation with with your parent. Yeah, uh, tricky. That is be, huh? often the most therapeutic thing, but that's not always possible. The parent may have died, the pa- or the parent may just not be interested and not want the conversation. Well, yeah, in which case you have to. Um, process this in other ways or, or indeed they might not understand or you might fear that they'd be hurt if they're very aged mm-hmm. and you bring up mm-hmm. a load of stuff i think if i if i did this with my father he'd be very very hurt not, not that i need to do my father because he was very loving but, but he'd be, be very very hurt to think that he'd made that kind of mistake i think so i would definitely mm. avoid it yeah well i think that it, it you can't make a general rule for everybody no you know um but there are other ways of doing it. Uh, role play, for example, or the empty chair. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You can shout, like you Mo- can, Monty Python. You can you can put your father or your mother in that in that in that empty chair in the therapy room and shout at it. He, for the record, he's pointing at an <laughs> invisible chair. It's absolutely insane. No, I I, I jest, obviously. Right, so you've gone into do- disorganisation mode. <laughs> it's that two percent. So you have the argument. I'm, the bo- the no, I'm also at the bottom of my can of toast. Uh, pale ale. Well, I think that might be a good place to stop. Uh, I I think so. Are we going to do? Um, is it time for one of your summings? Up? I think it right. might be what I have learned today. <laughs> so I have learned a lot today. I, do you know what? I'm ending this episode feeling very positive, actually. Yeah. Um, because I think uh, I'm hoping. I mean, this is why we do this podcast, is for people who are listening to go. Oh, hang on a minute. That's quite helpful. Mm. <coughs> I just sneeze. Yeah, because uh, I used to have a, a relationship with an avoidant person and I blame myself for it or yeah. I, I am that person and I, I, you know, I have to realise that actually I'm denying myself what I really need, which is intimacy. Yeah. And uh, I need to do something about it. That'd be fantastic. Imagine if we reached out to somebody. Uh, uh, that'd be they, fantastic. They, we've had a couple of letters actually about um, letters. What's the matter with me? A couple of electronic communications about episodes we've done that have helped people. All right, granddad. Yeah. <laughs> we've had a- Telegram, <laughs> Telegram. Why the long face? Uh, I like your podcast. Stop, please stop, <laughs> stop. Hold on, hold on. There's a carrier pigeon just arrived. <laughs> can, the latest message. We could go on. There's a, a man who's he's ran yeah. all the way from Marathon yes. to tell us of a great victory. Yeah, indeed. Your go. So I have learned today that there are several attachment styles, mm. almost all of which, sorry, almost exclusively, which are determined by the kind of parenting you have. Mm-hmm. We have talked about the secure. Yeah. Uh, we have talked about the avoidant, and we yeah. have talked about the anxious. And there is a fourth category, disorganized, yeah. which we've talked about less. But the the, the top three we've we've and certainly talked about, and, and, the, and the disorganized is only about three percent of the population. Right. Yeah. And we have also said that it's not an exact science, and you're not one hundred percent secure, or one hundred percent avoidant, or one hundred percent anxious. Not. You are a mixture. Yeah. We've analysed you, and we found you to be. An imbecile, but also a secure imbecile, which is quite <laughs> nice. Often, if not always, these 
attachment styles do manifest themselves in adulthood, particularly when it comes to forming uh, intimate relationships. Correct. Normally romantic relationships. Mm. And we talked about through all the characteristics of someone who is avoidant, which is the um, the style that we have majored yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. And they are things like sometimes being overcritical, um, failing to be able to uh, show their emotions and failing to be able to commit to a, or commit fully to a romantic relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also found that there are ways to correct that. The first being to recognize yeah. that personality that type pattern yeah. within you or within your partner. And yeah. there's a very optimistic, uh, very optimistic passage that we went through, which says some of the things that you can do to help. Yeah. Um, uh, there are potentially other, t- other uh, negative, uh, m- potentially mental illnesses that can be associated with someone who suffers from an extreme form of um, avoidant attachment style, um, such as anxiety, possibly depression, and maybe even borderline personality, personality disorders, but that's extreme and uncommon. Uh, correct. Yeah. Um, and uh, I suppose anxiety and depression uh, resulting from uh, failed relationships is going to be the most common uh, association. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not impossible for you to have an a-, a trauma in adulthood in terms of true, kind of which could bring on it at least temporarily this yes. type of attachment style. Yeah. And you're saying that's probably easier fixed, although the one uh, born out yeah. of childhood is not impossible to fix. The first stage of it being. But it's more ingrained. Yeah. Look, of course, yeah. it's more ingrained. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Decent summary. Uh, uh, yes, I think so. In fact, one of your best. Oh. A doctor. You get a gold star. I really enjoyed that. And I thought, when I first thought that, this is going to be as dry as a horse's scrotum. And and it wasn't. No, it, it was wasn't. all right. But I will let you be the, the judge of it, though, ultimately. And this is where our call to action comes. Call to action. Uh, we want you to get in touch with us and tell us uh, if you have an avoidant attachment style or if you know someone with an avoidant attachment style. Pull yourself maybe together. Maybe you find it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, joking, of course. Uh, but if you find that there's a pattern of relationships that you seem that seem to recur, and uh, you've not really thought about it in terms of attachment before, and you think, ah, actually, this is a, this could be a way through, could be a breakthrough. This doesn't sound like Freudian mumbo jumbo. I can get around this, get my head around this. That would be uh, great. Yeah, and tell us your stories, and also tell us what we missed out. Maybe we can uh, mention it in future podcasts. Yeah, because we have had feedback on people suffering from anxiety, um, people who use creativity to help with their Uh, depression, depression, mental illness, Mm. and uh, indeed someone uh, today got in contact with us with their story about um, their child who'd been recently diagnosed um, autistic, who is, by the way, doing very Uh, well now. Oh, good, Uh, good. Well, we're going to do, um, we're going to start doing some uh, mailbags, I think. We've got to do that, man. Yeah. We've got to do that, man. The love's coming our way. Let's. But we can't just ramble on forever. So we'll see you uh, next time. Yeah, what about the call to action? Just done it. Oh, yeah, but how? Oh, well, you can go and find us on Facebook. We're Why the Long Face. Uh, We have um, a website, uh, ytlf.com, which is whytlf.com. Very good. We're on Twitter, the same handle. We're also on Instagram. Can't bear Instagram. And please rate us on uh, any way, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. If you feel like it. SoundCloud. Yeah. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you so much for staying with us. Okay. Bye for now.